Welcome to the LSE Events Podcast by the London School of Economics and Political Science. Get ready to hear from some of the most influential international figures in the social sciences. Welcome to this LSE Festival online session, How the Workplace is Changing, Productivity, Inclusion and Beyond. Parts of our skills for a fast-changing world series hosted by LSE Online. In this series, we invite LSE experts to discuss recent trends in their field about professional skills we need for success. My name is Julia, and I'm a program manager in the LSE Online team. Uh, Basically, LSE Online makes LSE's world-leading teaching and research accessible to a global audience. We provide a comprehensive portfolio of online programs to equip you and your organization with the knowledge and skills to advance in an ever-changing world. So, today's event forms part of the LSE Festival People and Change, which is taking place from today all the way to Saturday the 17th of June. It will be exploring how change affects people and how people affect change. The event is being recorded and will hopefully be made available as a video or podcast, subject to no technical difficulties. So, fingers crossed on that one. Whilst we wait for everyone to arrive, we would love to hear where in the world you're joining us from. So if you can let us know in the chat, that'll be really great. So today we are kicking off the LSE Festival online skill sessions with Yolanda Vlavo and Dr. Jasmine Fahira. I'm going to just let them introduce themselves and then we can kickstart the event. Thanks, Julia. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Jasmine Viria and I'm a postdoctoral researcher in behavioural science at the Inclusion Initiative. I have a background in cognitive neuroscience and I'm very broadly interested in human behaviour and particularly now what that means for individuals in the workplace. And my current research investigates the link between diversity and productivity, which I'll have a chance to tell you about later on in the session, as well as how you can get involved in the research yourself. I'd like to introduce my colleague Yolanda Blavo, who is also a researcher in behavioural science at the Inclusion Initiative. Yolanda has a background in organisational psychology and is currently the head tutor for the Inclusive Leadership Through Behavioural Science online course, details of which you'll find in the chat, so a link to that. And Yolanda will be making reference to some of the teachings on that course as well. As Julia said, we in this session are going to be covering changes to the workplace that were owing to the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as changes that we anticipate happening in the future. And we'll be covering the Utopia framework, which we designed based on some of our qualitative research that we conducted last year. And this was mainly for changes that we anticipate in the organisation of work across financial and professional services. The first half of our session is going to be a discussion between myself and Yolanda, and the second half will be dedicated to your questions. So please do pop them into the chat throughout the whole session and we will get to them after our discussion. So to start, I'm going to ask Yolanda to give the audience an introduction into Utopia. Yes, firstly, I just want to say thank you so much, Jasmine, for that introduction. And thank you to Nicholas, Julia and Elise and everyone who's been involved in arranging the LSE Festival and involving us. So like Jasmine said, between the spring and summer of 2022, Jasmine, myself and Dr. Grace Lorden conducted a large qualitative study um, in partnership with Women in Banking and Finance, and it was focused on the future of work. And we asked questions to deal with measuring inclusion and productivity. 
And Utopia was the acronym that we created, and it's also a framework. And in the framework, we describe key actions leaders can take to maximize productivity while simultaneously supporting inclusion in organizations. I'll quickly overview what the Utopia acronym stands for. So the U in Utopia refers to umbrella diversity and umbrella diversity is quite similar to intersectionality. It deals with viewing employees holistically, capturing both their visible and less visible diversity characteristics and really making sure that you're meeting your employees' needs based off of these. And it really helps with making employees feel that they're able to be authentic in the workplace, which can lead to more productivity. Um, Also, uh, trust and organization of work are linked. Jasmine briefly discussed that this report dealt with the period of transition when we were reorganization, the reorganizing of work post pandemic. So that deals with working more remotely and and also hybridly and kind of finding the right balance for um, organizations. And one thing that we found was that trust was a key element in the success of organizing work in a certain way. So we'll discuss that later on. But the P is the main reason why we're here today to speak to you about productivity and how we can maximize productivity um, amongst all workers while still enhancing inclusion. Um, And then the I stands for ill-being. This deals with minimizing the negative health um, consequences of employees at work. So focusing on reducing stress, burnout, things like this, as opposed to focusing on prioritizing employees' happiness, because what makes people happy is so individual to them. So we really want Uh, leaders to create psychologically safe environments in which people are able to kind of seek their own happiness, but are also taking care of in terms of their health. Um, Then A stands for antecedent. That describes that the recent changes that we've been experiencing owing to the COVID-19 pandemic are really just an antecedent to the future changes that will occur. And we'll touch on that in the future of this discussion to kind of see what your predictions for the future of work are. Thanks, Yolanda. So this work was conducted in collaboration with Women in Banking and Finance, who are a nonprofit organization focused on shifting the dial when it comes to gender equity across financial and professional services. But as Yolanda mentioned, and you can see on the poster, the project was titled 100 Diverse Voices, and it meant that we included people across all genders and characteristics of diversity, which we at the Inclusion Initiative talk about in terms of maximizing diversity for productivity. And as Yolanda said, we're focusing on the productivity aspect for today's session. So Yolanda, I wondered whether you could share with us what the participants had to say about productivity. Yeah, of course. So what I thought was really interesting about what the participants said about productivity was that there was no consensus on how to measure it. They found that it was something that was so individual that it would be difficult to capture in one particular measure, and that maybe it's not something that would necessarily have to be only quantitative or qualitative, that it was something that was so unique. They did describe that their productivity did not decrease when they worked remotely. It actually stayed the same or increased, but they did have a preference for working in a more flexible hybrid manner. And 
This means that they made that their schedules more intentionally. So they prefer to go into the office to collaborate, and then they would prefer to do more concentrated deep work at home. And this kind of helped them to be more intentional about where and when they're working and why. So that was one thing that they kind of expressed uh, most frequently. And then secondly, they expressed the importance of moving away from presenteeism. So just that overemphasis on hours worked. A lot of times um, people who work longer hours tend to be rewarded more, even though um, hours worked has shown to not actually translate into outputs necessarily. So the focus of trusting employees more will play a role in reducing presenteeism, but we'll talk about that a bit later. But this is the main things that they brought up. Yeah, you said that there was no consensus. Do you have any examples of the different types of ways that people organized their work on a daily basis, perhaps a weekly basis, and how they felt that that impacted their productivity for the better? Yeah, I would say that a lot of people felt that during the pandemic, they felt very productive because they were working remotely and they were free of the distractions of the office. But then when more time passed, they got a bit fatigued and they really needed that social connection and they were really missing that interaction. And I think that's why they've been so intentional now that a lot of them were working hybridly to like come in on certain days to meet people for collaborating on a project or even just to see people in the office, let's say a few days because it brought that social aspect, but also it was helpful for just getting a question answered really quickly, as opposed to at home where, I mean, they did have teams and things like that, but it's a bit easier from their perspective to just have someone to speak to in the office. They also described being able to organize their work with their non-work responsibilities, whether that was getting up early to take their kids to school and come back and be able to do work and then pick their kids up and then work after that time. I think that was also something that they described to be helpful or even people without those responsibilities. Some people would want to like exercise and have that bit of a break, but then they would put in the hours at a different time. So I think it really just allows you to personalize and tailor your day so that you can be productive at the hours where you feel that you will be the most productive because not everyone is a morning person, for example. And sometimes the places where you'll have the best, like the times in which you're working the best are not the same as others. So really that flexibility is important. Yeah, I think we found that it's obviously important that expectations are set for employees, but really what's fundamental to some of the work that Yolanda, myself and Grace are writing up actually, you and people to attend to aspects of their well-being outside of work. And it creates either a working environment or the organization of their work that really accommodates them that they will be more productive. There's research that has shown that, you know, happier and healthier workers are definitely more productive. And I think we tend to highlight this in a lot of our work that there needs to be a focus on this. And as you said, moving away from presenteeism, that's something that in terms of autonomy, we really enjoy at the Inclusion Initiative. And I think we all see benefits of that when it comes to our productivity. So I wondered whether there were any other actions that came from the report that you could share in terms of how individuals or leaders could maximize their productivity? 
Yeah, I still think that we're somewhat in the phase of trying to figure out what's the right balance between being in the office and being at home working. And I think the best thing that we could suggest based off our findings is to experiment with modes of working. And this could consist of taking a before and after approach, defining what productivity looks like and seeing if there's a difference over a given time. So for example, if you wanted to implement having two days in the office and the rest of the days working remotely, and then after six months, if you've noticed that productivity has decreased, you could go back and kind of adjust the amount of days that you would do this. Something I will say is that it's probably extremely different on a team level um, and on a firm level. So it's good to experiment at both levels to see what is best for employee productivity. Um, But I think that experimenting really gives you the perspective of what is actually working and what is not working and allows you to change and quickly. But the next way that you can support productivity in the workplace is by defining it. Having a clear definition of productivity is something that should be co-constructed with your employees because sometimes it's hard to have a sense of what everyone is doing on a day-to-day basis. So constructing a definition of productivity that's clear is helpful for both. Um, Something that we came up with in our report that could be helpful to define productivity is the acronym DONE. So D stands for development. Before assigning a task, it could be useful to consider how has this task developed a skill or knowledge of an employee. And then O is objectives and outputs. So like I said, a clear objectives in a set time frame are really important. And uh, it allows you to streamline your work and also it allows time for timely troubleshooting. Additionally, N is narratives versus necessity. So just considering, do narratives of presenteeism exist within your organization? And then finally, E is engagement. And how engaged employees are with their work has a lot to do with how productive they'll be. And this is something that Jasmine touched on a bit earlier. An intervention that we have for improving engagement is to allow job crafting So job crafting consists of adding or dropping responsibilities to your job in order to tailor it better to your interests. And I'll just use myself as an example. I've actually done this recently. I was really interested in understanding the social media impact of our research. So I asked Grace about it and she helped me to get more involved with that. And that's made me excited to do that alongside the research that I'm currently doing. So I think just I think this also touches a bit on psychological safety, which being able to speak up about your needs and things that you'd be interested in, and then being able to have these opportunities to develop your skills and knowledge is quite useful to overall productivity, but also individual productivity. And I think the psychological safety aspect is really important here as well. When we're thinking about productivity and presenteeism, being able to voice that to members of your team to your leaders that actually you can still add value and you can still deliver on the outputs that you're responsible for in a way that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be in the office, for example. But we've seen it in the media that, you know, some firms have had very strict guidelines on how much they want people in the office. And I think this is a very narrow view of productivity and what that means. Um, Leaders seem to be quite hesitant about 
giving people the autonomy that they need to be as productive as they can. Um, so what would you suggest for leaders to let go of presenteeism and how do you think that they could do that? Yeah, I think that they should just trust also just the research that shows that individuals are able to be productive at home and they've maintained um, levels of productivity. But also, I think, speak more practically on it, it's reducing the amount of communication throughout the day that you have with your team. So reducing unnecessary meetings, messages, emails, all of that, because in the end, although it's a, a need for control that typically drives micromanagement. I think that it's also because you want things to be going like properly and you want to make sure everyone's on track, but it actually derails the progress because people are attending to these messages or meetings when they could be dedicating that time to their actual work. So something that we came up with to help with that is suggesting that employees audit their time and where they spend their time and what tasks they do. And like at the end of the week, you could have a feedback cycle and kind of see what productivity looks like for this individual on a weekly basis. And this would allow you to determine, is this a good use of time in this task, or maybe you should spend less time on a certain task, or maybe it's a good opportunity for an employee to ask for guidance in a more extensive way. So I think that instead of having these regular, constant yeah, communications throughout the day, kind of setting a specific time for it and having employees kind of reflect on themselves and how they work could be really useful. And I think that's kind of a common theme that we've been discussing of co-constructing the definitions of productivity. And that can also make it clear what the output needs to look like. And so, yeah, I do think that's really useful. Yeah. And I think we discussed that feedback is really important here as often the onus is on employees, obviously, to deliver on their outputs. But engaging in a cycle of feedback with their leaders to know, as Yolanda mentioned, when there has been a co-constructed definition of productivity, making sure that there is clear communication between yourself and your employees or your team members will enable a productivity that goes beyond the individual and can actually help teams work better together as well. And we got a sense of this in the interviews that we did. I think, you know, people had varying degrees of autonomy and flexibility, often dependent on the type of role that they were in or particular function. And it wasn't necessarily always equitable. A lot of our work obviously focuses on inclusion and equity in the workplace. But if we were to think about, and this has consistently changed, if we think now we are, we are three years on, from the initial lockdown phase and people have gone through varying changes in terms of their organization of work and what has and hasn't benefited their productivity. Do you think that there are any changes in the workplace that we might see going beyond the impact that COVID has had and what we might see in the future? And do you have any suggestions about how individuals or leaders can sort of maximize productivity in that way? Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, a lot of the discussion was around the COVID-related changes in the workplace, um, but something that wasn't really brought up very much was what are the future changes um, that could be to the workplace due to 
technological advances and what does that mean for inclusion? I know that recently the workplace has been changing a lot um, due to technology such as um, tools such as ChatGBT and you're able to kind of use it for decision making, data analysis and all of these things and it's just continuing to get more advanced and there's growing concerns about what skills people are going to need to survive and I think that it's the leader's responsibility to upskill their workforce. And actually, a colleague of ours, Cecily Justin, has done research on what skills are needed for the future of work. And in her research, she found that jobs that require physicality are most likely to be automated, whereas jobs that require more human-centered interactions are less likely to be automated. So it's also important to focus on developing soft skills of employees. I think a lot of the discussions about skills in the future tends to be focused on digital, which, I mean, it's really good to know how to you know, work with AI, but I also think it's important to develop these soft skills to thrive as well. Yeah. And the theme of this year's LSE Festival is people and change, right? So I think you mentioned in terms of developing skills, before talking about opportunity as well. That's one thing that we should have mentioned is that productivity for people across their career life cycles is often based on the opportunities that are available to them. And that's really important when we're thinking about inclusive work environments. So I wondered, was there anything particular from our findings about how to support inclusion in dynamic and diverse workplaces that you could suggest to the audience? Yeah, so I think the important thing is that we were arguing that inclusive leadership should be viewed as a skill that should be trained and not something that's just a good thing to do. Um, I found that when we were doing our interviews, a lot of the participants were struggling to find a concrete definition of inclusion. It's almost one of those things that you know it when you see it, but it was hard to actually operationalize, which I found interesting. And we, um, the Inclusion Initiative, typically define inclusive leadership as providing employees with equal opportunities, visibility, and voice. And a way to kind of measure inclusion or inclusive leadership, rather, could be by auditing diversity characteristics at the team level using the typical data you would collect, such as race, gender, et cetera. And then in a survey, ask participants if they feel that they receive less, more, or equal opportunities compared to their team members. And an inclusive leader would identify if there was a discrepancy in terms of opportunities between certain groups, and then they would create an intervention to resolve this. So I think that it's something that is a constant ongoing process, but that it needs to be measured and consistently reviewed. Hi. I'm interrupting this event to tell you about another awesome LSE podcast that we think you'd enjoy. LSE IQ asks social scientists and other experts to answer one intelligent question, like, why do people believe in conspiracy theories? Or, can we afford the super rich? Come check us out. Just search for LSE IQ wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the event. You had a question for the audience at this point. Oh, yes. I was just going to say that the very first question that we asked 
our participants was given all of the changes recently to the workplace, what's your ideal vision for the future of work? And that was back in the spring um, through the summer of 2022. And so much has changed since then. And I was just curious to see if anyone would like to add in the chat what your vision for the future of work is based off of what we've shared and also what you've experienced recently. And any experiences of what changes productivity or what you found to impact it. And this leads actually quite well onto some of the work I mentioned at the start of the session. Myself and my colleagues, Daniel Jollis and Teresa Almeida are leading projects on diversity and productivity in the workplace. And this is from Education to Work. You'll find a link to the website in the chat. The project that I'm leading is an investigation into what helps and hinders productivity in the workplace, particularly across diverse groups and those who are often underrepresented across banking and finance, professional services, technology, retail, manufacturing and public services, actually. And we're doing this to really understand what types of interventions can be designed to enable productivity of these people within the workplace, but also more generally, and how that feeds into greater productivity at the organisational level. There is also the opportunity to take part in this research if you'd like to be interviewed. So please do sign up. The form to indicate your interest will also be in the chat. So you can fill that in and one of our team will be in contact with you. And the work that Daniel and Teresa are conducting is experimental work, how we can leverage inclusion to then drive productivity and what that means for organisational gains generally. And if anyone does have any questions about the work specifically, you're more than welcome to get in contact or reach out via the forms. But this is something that we at TII are really focused on. And diversity and productivity is a really large project across institutes and across disciplines as well. So from an economic, psychological and sociological perspective, we're really trying to get an understanding of what this means. We've finished in terms of our discussion for today. So I think... Julia, we'll turn to the audience questions, if that's okay. Great. Thanks so much, Jasmine and Yolanda. That was a really fascinating talk and um, discussion. So, yes, there are a few questions. So the first question is from Rania. Uh, they work at the International Growth Centre in London. Um, the question is, does the perspective of productivity differ across different genders? I would say that we didn't find that to be the case. We did find that People discussed being a parent and like specifically mothers, like not being able to work as many hours sometimes as like their colleagues without children. And that's where like presenteeism becomes an issue, but not that the perspective of productivity was different. It actually seemed pretty consistent across genders. What do you say, Justin? We found the same, actually, that there were a lot of men who enjoyed the autonomy and the flexibility that they were given because it not only meant that they could attend to child caring needs whilst fulfilling their responsibilities of their role, but actually it enabled them to support their partners who had probably sort of carried most of the responsibilities or fulfilled those family responsibilities. And in terms of other stratifications across age, the one thing that we did notice was that people that were really early on in their careers, so had probably either just finished apprenticeships or started graduate schemes, for example, the fact that they didn't have a lot of the in-person contact 
meant that some of them felt that they were missing out on learning opportunities in terms of the learning by osmosis, you know, hear, overhearing the conversations in the office. But we found that a lot of leaders who we interviewed were really trying to mitigate this, making sure that there was clear communication in place, that they were dedicating the time, particularly for those early on in their careers, to make sure that they were progressing in the way or having their questions answered in the way that was necessary for them to fulfill their responsibilities and develop through that stage. But it's something that I think is definitely worth reassessing. And if there are leaders in the audience, I think it's something that definitely needs to be a focus um, when it comes to developing and retaining your talent. Right. Thank you, Jasmine and Yolanda. Um, next question comes from Joanna. Uh, she asks, um, how does working as part of a team and accommodating the needs of a team work alongside the desire to deliver hybrid working and avoidance of presenteeism? I think depending on the size of the team, I would first try and have an understanding of or gain an understanding of the type of organisation of work that works for people, particularly if you have a diverse team with people having various commitments outside of work, um, to then get a good understanding of what type of hybrid working would work. And it, would it be that online meetings are possible for certain types of work, whereas other types of work really require people in the office for that problem solving or that creativity aspect? And this is dependent on, I think, I'd say a, a certain level of psychological safety within a team, people being able to share really what does and doesn't work for them. Uh, we are a, psychological safety doesn't mean that there's never any disagreements, but it, it focuses on the fact that people are more committed to problem solving than they are to sort of reactive, potentially negative situations. So I would say in doing that and understanding how hybrid could work for your team, will help people move away from presenteeism and particularly if leaders are able to measure the type of outputs that they are getting whether they are timely whether they are delivered to the quality that is necessary it will just give people more force or a better understanding of the fact that it works um, and as Yolanda said experimentation is really important here uh, Yolanda, I don't know if you had anything. That's a part that I was going to add to what you said, the experimenting with it, because it is hard to know. And I do think it requires a lot of communication and not just one conversation, just like consistently checking in as to see whether it's working. Yeah, that makes sense. And I assume also just having that safe space and environment to feel open to communicate to your line managers too, right? Yes, exactly. And next question is from Eleanor. She's asked if you could please share the source of the research which shows that working from home is just as productive. Sure, we will. We will we'll get the link. Yep. Fun link, yes. We'll share that after the event, Eleanor. Uh, and the next question is from Sasha. Uh, she's asked, do you find that the inclination to work from home versus the office depends on the age or family status of the employee? I was going to say that I thought that was like my kind of assumption that it would be. And then it turned out not to be the case from our research that everyone wanted this flexibility for different reasons. And I think it comes down to just being able to structure your day in the way that you work the best. And so we actually didn't see, in my opinion, from the findings like that difference, which I think that was what was so interesting about our framework is that there was like such a a consensus on that. 
there are particular examples as well. So I think there may have been this general assumption that younger people or those earlier on in their careers, sort of to mid-level, don't want to be in the office, for example. And that wasn't necessarily the case. We saw some really wanted to in terms of their learning experiences, but there was a few participants who actually early on in the pandemic asked for exemptions from their work to be able to go into the office because they really felt the impact of being isolated and working from home on their mental health and having the office space to go into was really linked to their productivity in a professional and a personal capacity. And I remember the participants saying to me that having those clear boundaries in terms of environment was really beneficial for them. And and that was someone that was arguably quite young and early on in their career. So it really did vary. And I think that was the benefit of Mm -hmm. having such a diverse sample we went from those early on in their careers up until the c-suite so yeah I wouldn't say we did in terms of answer to the question yeah thank you both and next question is from Dakar with apologies I um, mispronounced your name um, they've asked do you feel productivity is also impacted based on employee skills and experience in an organization for example, a new employee in a new industry may be benefited with more face-to-face interaction. Uh, however, as experience within the organisation and team is gained, hybrid working can be more productive? I would say so. I think so. There wasn't necessarily, um, there were some employees that we spoke to who were new to their organisations and they they actually mentioned that the onboarding processes, given that they were working remotely, had been fantastic, that they yeah. had really, really they could tell that the organization had put a lot into ensuring that the onboarding process was smooth. They were given the resources that they needed, as well as the contacts within their various teams or departments. I think it requires a conversation in terms of skills, of really the types of skills that the employee wants to develop and that's required of them, as well as the types of skills that they will naturally develop through completing work that they're required to do. Um, Yolanda, I'm not sure if you had anything to add on that yeah no that's in the same line of what I was thinking I think arguing whether it's more or less productive really depends on the individuals and the teams again the types of work that's going on but I think there's loads of different things that people can do to maximize the benefits of hybrid working when it comes to productivity yeah I think it's just about having that support there for employees if they need it like just being available, especially for new joiners that probably have a lot of questions. And typically, if you started in the office, you could have just asked and maybe you're more uh, hesitant to do so virtually. But just making yourself accessible as a leader for those colleagues, I think, is really, really valuable. And that's kind of what they were expressing. Makes sense. Thank you. Uh, next question is from Monica. Uh, she's asked, how will AI impacts productivity with different staff working on location and hybrid? So an example that we found from our research was traders, those who are working on the trading floor, obviously a highly regulated role. And actually, these people were required to be in the office just as they were before the lockdowns. And the example that we give in the report and the antecedent aspect is that if there are technologies that are developed, that can enable those who work in regulated roles to be given the type of flexibility and autonomy that other people are given in varying roles, 
I don't know necessarily whether it would have an impact on productivity, but it would make the organisation of work slightly more equitable. There has always been this traditional understanding that certain roles require a certain in-office presence, being on the trading floor, for example. But there is potential for technologies to be developed. We may then see changes in productivity, for example, but it's not something that we have come across as of yet. So if we do and we see that literature and we see that work, we'll we'll definitely update the audience on that. Stay tuned, basically. <laughs> so we've got a comment um, from Lucy Mills. Uh, she works in the healthcare management consultancy. And uh, she said, something I'm also seeing is the impact of Gen Z entering the workforce. In my experience, they have quite different and arguably healthier views on work-life balance. However, a challenge we face is that they really want to be working on large projects with high impact, which is great, but there can be an unwillingness to learn some of the smaller tasks. Perhaps we need to be more transparent about how these contribute to the wider picture, but any further advice, welcome. I would say that I think just that last bit of letting them know what the overall um, impact it can have is, is good, but also I think potentially maybe if they're not working on it, just having opportunities to shadow at times, I think just to see maybe what it could look like, even if they're not directly involved in the deep work of it, I think could be helpful. And also I would say maybe it's just that they want to do something in between as well. Like maybe kind of what we were talking about in the DUN acronym of uh, does this develop a certain skill or knowledge, just like really highlighting that this task that I'm assigning is going to help in the future with projects such as these. So when you're assigning something, making it kind of more intentional and like clear as to where it could lead in the future so that they don't feel like they're doing things that aren't actually going to lead them to these bigger tasks that they're interested in getting involved in. What about you, Jasmine? No, I don't think I have anything to add on that one, but I did just see, Judy, I hope you don't mind, a question from John Robinson. Doesn't working from home rely on the assumption that an employee has a safe, quiet space at home? For Londoners, I know a lot of colleagues who found that only one of them could work from home without hindering the other. Are you researching relatively rich middle-class individuals with autonomy and significant domestic space? So this was absolutely something that we found, particularly for those earlier on in their careers who were house sharing, flat sharing, that there wasn't enough space. And they then voiced that to their leaders, to the organisation, say, I need somewhere to be able to come and work. Um, not just from a space perspective, but on the safety aspect that you mentioned, particularly we had examples of LGBT participants who needed, when we're talking about safety, not only a psychologically safe space to be, but actually a safe environment for them to be themselves authentically or in an identity that perhaps, especially during the lockdown periods when people had to move back or went back to families, um, and that was something that was really prioritised when we were thinking about, we had a question in the interviews about particular aspects of inclusion that people found were personally important or they thought their organisations were doing a good or bad job on. And many of the senior leaders that we spoke to also highlighted that they had an understanding. And this is why they opened offices up where they could, was because they understood that not everyone would have the space at home. Um, in terms of 
class um, and part of the diversity and productivity research that I'll be conducting actually stratifies across socioeconomic status to have a better understanding of what does that mean in terms of productivity, but also access to certain careers as well. And, and in the 100 diverse voices, we did have some participants voice that aspect of their identity, that they were from a lower socioeconomic background and that that had impacted their access, as I mentioned, to certain work opportunities and what that meant in terms of location as well. Um, so I hope that answers your question in some way. Thanks, Desmond. And I hope that answers your question too, Rania, because you also asked about the research into um, disadvantaged groups that want to work remotely as well. I've got a question from Lola. She's asked, did your results show whether there's any particular industry that is doing really well in terms of hybrid working? Well, we focused on financial and professional services for this one, so we could only speak to that. But I do think that what I felt overall was that they said that there did seem to be a move away from like a movement away from presenteeism, which was good from like the participants perspectives and that they were enjoying the fact that they were able to go um, in a couple of days a week and then kind of have more flexibility. But since we've done the report, there has been a lot of changes. I mean, a lot of organizations have called employees to work in the office more days than they work from home. So I think that it's so dynamic now that I think it would be hard to say someone's doing well or not well. And but what about you, Jasmine? Yeah, it is hard to generalize, like you said, because we focused on financial and professional services. But the work that we continue to conduct on the diversity and productivity project is cross-sector. So we'll hopefully have some findings there in terms of comparisons and be able to offer learnings to each of the different sectors in some ways. I know it will vary on the types of requirements of the roles uh, business needs, but it would be a really good opportunity actually to, to see what comes out from certain sectors and, and how that impacts the way teams work. Great, thank you. I've got a question from Julia. Um, she's asked, in terms of working with a leader to develop inclusive, productive working environments or processes and hybrid working styles, if the team is small enough that certain types of anonymized data or feedback could risk identifying the individual, e.g. only women in team or neurodiverse um, conditions, uh, how could this be um, accommodated? I was just saying this actually was a, something that came up a lot in our research of like smaller companies and the fear that you would be identified without really identifying yourself. And I think that people should feel free to share only what they're comfortable with. I think obviously in your, if you're in a small team and it's going to reveal who you are and you don't feel comfortable with that, you absolutely shouldn't. But I do think that there's something to be said for um, if you are expressing a specific need, you should feel psychologically safe enough to do so, even if you are the only one. And like, if you're not feeling that way, that's something that the leader needs to address. Yeah, I don't know if we've seen it in practice, but having someone independent from that team, maybe they work in the organization or maybe they are external to the organization completely, that is able to look at the responses and the types of needs and present that in a way to the team or to the team leader about the needs. Um, so it doesn't necessarily focus on an individual, but actually 
the changes that are suggested could be beneficial for all members of the team, that it's not always specific. And we find this with a lot of the actions that we generate and that we suggest is that by accommodating or making adjustments for the needs of people that are often underrepresented across some of these firms is that it doesn't just benefit them, but it will benefit people more widely, the, the whole workforce. If we really think about changing aspects of the culture in an organic way. Thank you both. We've got a question from John. He asked, in financial and professional services, were you focusing on the professionals or did you also include the support staff in your research? We included like income generating and non-income generating employees, but you can elaborate, I guess, because you were part of the recruitment of this more so. Yeah, no, it was um, both, as Yolanda said, income generating and non-income generating. I'm sure that we did include HR professionals as well um, and varying types of support staff. So the way in which they, in some instances, benefited from more autonomy or flexibility, for example, and there was acknowledgement from some of the professional staff about how there were needs for support staff to be in the office more, for example, if we are talking about people on reception, for example. But we did have a question about, are there any roles within your organisation where you think people are required to be in the office Monday to Friday, nine to five? And I'm pretty sure almost all 100 participants said no. Um, so that was really an indication as to how the people are conceptualising jobs and the trust in people to deliver on what they're required to do. Thank you, Jasmine. And I believe that's all of the t- questions we have for the time that we have today. I'd like to say to Yolanda and Jasmine, thank you so, so much uh, for your time today. It was a really, really fascinating talk. And I hope everybody on the call enjoyed it as much as I did. And also thank you for everyone for joining as well. I know it's super sunny outside for those in London. So we really appreciate that. Uh, But it doesn't stop here. There are lots more exciting events coming up this week at the festival. So do check out the programme at lsc.ac.uk forward slash festival. My colleague will pop the link in the chat for you as well. So the next LSC online skill session will be at the same time tomorrow, where Dr. Emilio Lastro-Gill will explore how to understand digitalization and change management. And you can find out about all of this information on the LSC uh, online courses via the link on the slide and in the chat box. And of course, we have the link coming up for you. Um, again, thank you so much, Landon Jasmine. Really enjoyed the talk. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And for everyone on the call, thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the week. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the LSE Events Podcast on your favourite podcast app and help other listeners discover us by leaving a review. Visit lse.ac.uk forward slash events to find out what's on next. We hope you join us at another LSE event soon.